You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today to preview Georgia's college football playoff semifinal matchup in the Orange Bowl against the Michigan Wolverines is my longtime co-host. Curtis, it feels like it's been about 100 years since we've previewed an actual football game. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it feels like it's been about 100 years. I guess that's what happens when you get gutted by a loss in the SEC Championship game, and then you're kind of just left to marinate and ruminate on the existential questions it breeds for a month like are we overrated is this as good as it gets for us are we about to blow our best chance for a national title in the past 40 years will we ever actually win another national title maybe I'm just the neurotic one and you guys haven't had those thoughts but I get the feeling just talking to people around the around Athens here and reading message boards and interacting people on social media I think a lot of people are also having those same thoughts so when, when you've kind of been just sitting there for weeks and weeks just thinking about those things before you get a chance to play again and maybe try to wipe that taste out of your mouth and remember what it feels like to win, it just feels like it's been a century. So this probably goes without saying, but we are pumped to actually be able to come on here and break down another actual football game for you guys and just excited about the opportunity that we have as a team, as a program, to redeem ourselves on the national scene. So we've got a ton to talk about today, a ton of things to break down, all aspects of this game. But before we do that, I do want to quickly remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. I know the holiday season has come and gone, but hey, all the extra cash you got over the holidays is burning a hole in your pocket. Now is the time to go spend that money at Alumni Hall. You can get all your Georgia playoff gear right now. I actually just spent some of my own Christmas money today at Alumni Hall. Just drove up there, had a couple minutes Drove up to Alumni Hall today, and uh, as is always the case, I cannot walk out of there without picking up something, and I got myself a really cool, nice and warm fleece Nike Golf quarter zip pullover, which I might not need right now because it's like 75 degrees in Georgia, and it's going to be really warm in Miami, but hey, at some point, it's probably going to get cold again, and I'll be fully prepared when it does. So stop in today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or shop online at Alumni Hall to pick up all of your Georgia gear and accessories. 
And don't forget, the next time you guys are planning a trip to Athens, make sure to do yourself a favor and book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage right in the heart of Athens in the beautiful Normal Town District. It's safe, clean, comfortable, convenient. Three bedrooms, kitchenette, living room, big screen TV, free tree line parking, nice and quiet, a lot of privacy that you can't get at a hotel. And downtown Athens is just a short distance down the road. So whether you're coming in for a sporting event, a concert, visiting friends, family, reliving the old glory days, whatever it might be, take my word for it, book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage on Airbnb. All right, let's get Curtis in here and let's talk some football. Curtis, I actually want to start with the psychological aspect of this game. This is usually not something that we dabble in. Like We try to set our sights primarily on what's happening on the field. But I think in a game of this magnitude where you've had two teams basically with a month to prepare, this is worth at least spending a little bit of time talking about here at the outset before we get into all the things that are going to happen all in the field X and O-wise. Obviously, like we know, like this is a game for a spot in the national championship game. So both sides are going to clearly be motivated to win. That should go without saying. But from like a vibes, I mean, I don't know, like psychological standpoint, who is in the better position coming into this game, Kurt? I mean, psychologically, I mean, I think you have to go Michigan. They're just on a high right now. You know, they finally got that big win over uh, Ohio State. They've been trying to get for the last couple of years, especially under Harbaugh. And the fact is, we're coming off an embarrassment. I know people say, well, hey, we got something to prove and everything. But you, as much as you believe that to be true, you just don't know how it's going to turn out. And I, I, I get that. I do. Like, look, you're exactly right. The vibes have been far more positive for Michigan, but... I don't know, like, is that necessarily the best thing? Because, Curtis, it was just about a month ago, like, actually less than a month ago, about three weeks ago at this point, heading to the SEC Championship game, couldn't you say the same thing about Georgia? Like, the vibes were clearly far better for us hanging that game against Alabama than it was for Alabama, but we all know how that played out. Oh, yeah, I think that's very true, um, and I think that that's what I'm saying. Like, we just don't know what we what Georgia's going to show up. I mean, we knew we were going to get a, you know, desperate Alabama and all those things, and that's why I said, like, Georgia should come in, you know, pissed off, saying, hey, we got embarrassed, I want to prove you wrong, but we just don't know if that's for sure what we're going to get. Yeah, we don't know, man. You're exactly right. Like, we don't know. Like, none of us are in there behind closed doors. We're not talking to the players. We don't really know, but just from the outside looking in, I kind of like where we are positioned psychologically entering this game. And I don't even know how much it matters, like if it matters even at all. But I, I, I do think to some degree it does matter. I mean, look, Michigan, yes, you're exactly right. They've they've been vibing in, in the right ways. They're, everything's like all smelling like roses for them. Everyone's talking them up. They have a lot of confidence. You, you mentioned beating Ohio State, murdering Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. And for us, it's, it's been a very different month. I mean, the, the vibes have not been positive. I mean, they've been overwhelmingly negative. I do wonder how much of that has kind of seeped into the team, that negativity. I hope they've kind of closed up shop and they're not listening to the out, outside noise, all that kind of stuff, all those cliches you always hear. I hope that's the case. It can go one or two ways. It can be where all the negativity kind of seeps in the team and they just come out kind of flat. Or it could be kind of what we saw in the SEC title game against Alabama where they like our guys should come out swinging. They've got something to prove. They're the hungry team. They could have been backed into a corner. And one thing that we can say, Curtis, this Georgia team has been a front runner basically all year long, I guess, after week one, that Clemson win. We haven't seen what this Georgia team looks like when it's been backed into a corner. Are we going to come out swinging like Alabama did? Or are we just going to kind of whimper in the corner and just go down without much of a fight? I have a sneaking feeling 
that we're going to come out with an extra like motivational edge. Again, I don't know how much that matters, but I, I, have, I have a feeling that we're going to come out highly motivated, clearly motivated, but with that extra edge that maybe we haven't seen from this Georgia team because we haven't been in that position where we've been knocked down. We took a punch, man. Bama threw a haymaker. Are we going to get back up off the mat and fight back? I think we will. I think we're going to respond in a big way. And it's kind of, to me, it's kind of exciting to see how we respond. We haven't, again, haven't had to see this Georgia team do anything like that. We've just been a front runner all year long. And now, I mean, technically we're the, like, we're the favorite curse. But like, when you listen to people talk about this game, in the national media, am I just making things up? Or do you kind of get the, like the feeling that like people don't expect us to win this game? Uh, yeah, I, I do get that feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Like we are clear, like we're a more than a touchdown favorite, I guess with the COVID stuff, we were like, a, we were like an eight and a half point favorite dropped down to, to about, to about a touchdown now last I looked. But I mean, when you hear people talk about this in national media, it's almost like, well, how is George going to stand up to Michigan? How can George beat Michigan? And maybe it's just the people I'm listening to that I'm hearing. I'm sure I'm not hearing everything out there, but you kind of get this sense out there among all the, all the big time national media members that, hey, Georgia, you know, Georgia's in trouble here. Like Bama really exposed them and Michigan, like they're just rolling right now. And Georgia's just going to be next in line. Michigan's going to move on to, to a date in the national championship game. Now, of course, one thing I want to talk about here, and I don't know if this is so much like a psychological thing, but maybe to a degree. Let's talk about this Dan Lanning situation. How concerned are you about this? Because we, you and I, like we, like we, we said when Kirby made the announcement that Muschamp and Schumann were going to be co-DCs, that statement was very vague and it was clearly purposely vague. But Dan Lanning went out there with our for the media availability today as our demons of coordinator and said point blank that he is calling plays. You and I. Read Kirby's statement as saying that Dan Ling is going to be part of the, the, the game planning. He's going to be more or less like a position coach, but he's not going to be the defense coordinator. Now, maybe Kirby's just playing secret squirrel here. He went and told Lane to go up there and lie. I don't think that's the case, though. I think he's going to be calling the plays here. How do you feel about that heading into this game? Um, I'm not very excited. I, I'm a little nervous over that. Uh, I thought it would be good to keep him on the roster and on the staff, um, but I'm just not sure what my overall opinion is of him still calling the defense. Man, I'm kind of torn on this because, look, this guy has been our coordinator all year. He's been the play caller. He's been the voice, that leading voice in the defensive rooms all year long. Yes, Schumann's involved in game planning. Yes, Kirby's involved. Yes, much Emperor involved. But Lanning has been that leading voice. He's been the guy calling the plays all year long. And so you kind of want to keep that continuity as much as possible. I mean, I, even if, if he wasn't calling plays, I would be at least moderately concerned about having a new defensive play caller going into the biggest game of the year. That would be slightly concerning to me. But in some weird way, I'm, I'm kind of more concerned about the fact that Lanning is the head coach of the Oregon Ducks. And yes, he's still on staff here right now for, for the time being. But Curtis, there is no way that you can sit there with a straight face and Lanning can say all he wants that he's fully committed to this team and he's dedicated to this team and finishing things out right. But there's no way that he's not distracted, right? No, yeah, 100%. I mean, Kirby Smart should know better than anyone. And Yeah, Kirby did it himself back in, uh, I guess, the end of the 2015 season. I don't. Did you actually see Lang's press conference today, Curtis? I did not, know. All right, well, you got to go check this out. And those of you who haven't seen it, go check this out. That dude, you'll get exactly what I'm saying here. That dude looked like he's been on a two-week-long bender in the press conference. Today. I don't even know how he was standing up. He looked like he was about to fall over and die. And he's being pulled in 5 million different directions. And that's concerning to me when we're going into a college playoff semifinal matchup against a very, very, very good Michigan team. And our defense coordinator looks like he's about to pass out and die any given moment. That's concerning to me. And I, I guess 
I mean, Kirby's made the decision. He's the one in there with, with these guys, and he knows what's best for the team. But I got to say, it's not an ideal situation heading into this game. Well, he was coordinator again, is the head coach at another at another school, and he's clearly being pulled in different directions. And I I, I have to admit, I don't believe that his attention is a hundred percent on this game like it should be. I it can't he can't help that. It's just part of the deal. But that's I guess is how we're rolling in this game, and just. Put our hands together, pray to God that it works out. But all right, Curtis, vibes, psychology, I think that matters to a degree. But this game, make no mistake about it, is going to be won or lost on the field of play. So let's move on to the actual matchups on the field that I think are going to ultimately decide this game. And let's go ahead and do this, man. Let's start with the headliner matchup between the Georgia defense and the Michigan offense. Now, this Michigan offense, I certainly would not call them elite, They've been really, really good. They're top 20 in most team offensive metrics. But it's more than the overall numbers. It's the matchup. It's Michigan as this kind of power rushing attack, number nine nationally rushing offense, 15th nationally yards per rush. They're 60% run on the year. They have the best offensive line in college football, at least according to the people who vote on those things. They won the Joe Moore Award, which is annually given to the top offensive line in the country. So at the very least, they're one of the best offensive lines in the country, if not the best line out there. And then on the flip side, you guys know, we talked about this all year, how good we are against the run. Number three nationally rush defense, number three yards per rush allowed, number one scoring defense, number one in yards per play allowed. And during the Orange Bowl press availability, the Michigan players and coaches, all of them, they, they're, they've kind of been echoing all the Michigan fans, all the Michigan bloggers out there talking about how they're going to hit us in the mouth, out physical us and win the battle in the trenches. So they're the trash talk is strong, man. I mean, seriously, I mean, if you guys listen to it, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they were not really subtle about it. So, Kurt, look at this matchup between this rush-heavy Michigan offense and our dominant Georgia rush defense. Which unit do you think has the matchup advantage going into this game? I'm actually going to go Georgia, and I think the biggest reason why is depth. They have they have a good front, you know, front. But I don't think they've ever faced a defense with our depth to go along with our skill. Most teams have a decent front seven to start with, but when you start rotating in and out is when you're like, okay, we can make, you know, they got a few backups in here that we can exploit this and try to hit them here. That's not the case with us. We're going to stay fresh, and you're going to have to beat us the whole game because our guys are going to stay fresh the entire game. Yeah, I I found that really interesting. And the big thing, too, is like with our depth, is huge because this is a warm weather game. Michigan hasn't played in warm weather since probably July. I mean, realistically. It was snowing like, it, yeah. when they played Ohio State. It's been so long since they've been in warm weather. And you conditioning is going to be a big factor of this game. And that's one reason I really like our depth. Yeah, I like that too. I found it really interesting. Josh Gaddis, their offensive coordinator who won um, the Broyles Award for the top assistant coach in the country, beat out Dan Landing for that. And I don't honestly know if he really deserved that. I mean, they've been really good offensively, but they haven't been like an elite offense, but whatever. He won the award and they've done a really good job. And he was talking about how the, like their plan is to win this game in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, well, I mean, if it comes down to that, I kind of like our chances. We just have more depth. It's, it's, it's that simple. We have more quality depth. So I kind of like our chances there, but it seems to be like that's their plan. You're just kind of wear us down, hit us in the mouth as they're saying, win the battle in the trenches and just in the fourth quarter, just – kind of plow over us. And I just don't I'm – I'm with you, Curse. I don't know if I see that happening. I, I just don't know if that's how it's going to play. I hope it doesn't, obviously. Uh, all right, Kurt, but personnel-wise, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, I guess last week, but who on their offense, when you're looking at their, their, their skill players, who keeps you up the most at night? Who are you most concerned about? 
Um, I think it, to me, I focus on two running backs, both of the running backs, and that's Haskins and Crump. Um, and I go with both because Haskins can really just beat you in the run game. But Crump is like their James Cook. Yeah, Corm is like I mean, just or Corm. Sorry, here. why I keep saying Crump. Corm, yeah, <laughs> close enough. It's close enough, man. Um, but Haskins, like he is, he's their every down back. I mean, Corm obviously gets carries, but he is like, and kind of what I talked about, I guess earlier in the week or last week. I can't remember when we talked about this. Whenever we talked about it, Haskins is kind of like their Zeus. Is that fair to say, Kurt? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, he's gonna get more of the carries in between the tackles. Yeah, exactly. He's their more physical, grind it out, move the chains kind of back, their bread and butter, but he's not as explosive as Corm is. I mean, he's got 35 carries of 10 or more yards in the year, only six of 20 plus, whereas Corum has 10 carries of 20 or more yards on, on the year, despite having 120 fewer carries. So he basically almost has, almost has double the number of 20 or more yard carries than Haskins with more than 100 fewer carries. He also has four carries of 50 more yards. He is their explosive home run back. They also use him a lot in the passing game. Like Haskins will be used in the passing game. It's more as like, like an outlet guy, a check down guy. He's not really the primary option in the pass game. That doesn't mean he doesn't catch passes. It's really Corm. Corm is that guy. Doesn't get as many touches. But when he does, they really try to maximize his touches and try to hit those home run plays. As you mentioned, Curtis, James Cook's a very, very good comparison for, for Corm. He is kind of like their version of James Cook or Kenny McIntosh. And the other guy I would mention here, and he doesn't get as many carries. Obviously not. But if you look at Donovan Edwards, Curtis, remember that name from recruiting a couple years ago? Yeah, I do. Actually, last year, we thought we had him. He does not touch the ball in the run game very much at all, but he is a factor in the pass game. He actually leads Michigan from the running back position in receptions and receiving yards. So when he's in the game, he is absolutely a threat to catch the football and do big things with the ball. Um, he's a guy that, that I mean, we go back and watch him in high school. One of the reasons I was so excited about potentially landing him last year was what he could do as a receiver out of the backfield. He basically, in high school, it seemed like half the time he was playing receiver. He was truly lining up a receiver and running legitimate receiver routes and doing it very, very well. And they use him in that capacity. So I think you're right, Curtis. It's their backs, that trio of backs, especially their top two backs. They get most of the play here that have to be the most concerned. Their receivers are good. I would say they're kind of like our receivers level. Like they're good. They can make plays, but they don't have that one dude. Maybe Cornelius Johnson, but he's not really that kind of like Jamison Williams, number one guy. They don't have that one guy out there that really scares the hell out of you. I do think that Eric all at tight end is a guy you have to watch out for. A lot of times they will lean on him when they get into situations where it's third law and they need to get a conversion. They will look to him. McNamara looks to him kind of a security blanket for him, but I think their home run hitters are the running backs. And the, those are the guys that you have got to account for. And you've got to sell out stop. You got to sell to stop the run because that is what they do. Uh, Kurt, speaking of their backs here real quick, just, I know this is kind of an aside, but I said last week, I think their backs are better than ours. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I mean, Haskins is better than Zeus. Yes. Haskins is a hundred percent better than Zeus. He just is. Here's what I would say. I think Cook is the best of out of their group and our group. I think Cook's the best back. All right. Yeah. Right now, I think he's the best. But I think Haskins is a good bit better than Zeus. He's certainly been a good bit more productive than Zeus. Um, Corm is not that far off of what James Cook gives us. So if you look at, at least the top two, now we have more depth. I mean, if you add in Kenny McIntosh, you add in Kendall, a healthy Kendall Milton, sure, depth-wise, we would overtake them. But their top two backs, I mean, I think you can make an argument that they are at least as good, if not better, than our top two backs. And I just, I don't think that's crazy. I know some people probably, you know, 
think that's blasphemous. How dare I say that? But honestly, just watching them, I think Haskins is a freaking beast. He is, like he's not the home run threat kind of guy, but this guy is an absolute animal out there. And I think he moves better than Zeus. I, I just do. I think he's a more fluid athlete. But regardless, we have a good group of backs. They have a good group of backs. And, and Curtis, I want to move here next. If you are the Georgia defensive brain trust, whoever it is that's calling plays, however this game plan is going to go, what is your game plan to stop this Michigan Wolverine offense? I think more than anything, you got to stick to kind of what we don't have done with the two deep safety kind of stay with our basis, base defense as it has been because realistically they don't have the guys that scare me in the passing game. If you look, they only have four times that they has a receiver gone over 100 yards in a game, and two of those were by Cornelius Johnson. So it's not like they have the big explosive playmakers that are going to rack up the yards like you're talking about with Jamison Williams and things like that that scare you in the passing game. But they can beat you if they can get the running game starting and then use that to the play action to their advantage. So you have to take the running away from them. Bingo. You're exactly right, man. Like, like this is what they do. This is how they hurt you. This is how they play offense. And I, I told you guys last week, there are a ton of similarities between the Georgia offense and the Michigan offense. A ton of similarities. Foremost among those, both teams want to run the football and establish play action off of that. Neither one of these offenses, Georgia's offense or Michigan's offense, is built to win with the drop back pass game. They both need the threat of play action. We know that very, very well with Stetson Bennett. And if you really watch Michigan, as I have gone back the past month doing so, they are extraordinarily similar in that regard. They really are. So you're exactly right, Curtis. If we can stop the run game with even numbers, which is what we have done all year long, Take a shot for how many times you've heard me say that and you'd be knocked out probably dead right now. I've said that so many times this year, basically every single week, because that's been the key to what we do. Jordan Davis's presence in the middle of that defense allows us, he eats up blockers and allows us to stop the run consistently with even numbers without having to roll people down the box. And that's what Michigan is built on doing. They're, they try to force you to get aggressive, attacking the run, bringing safeties in the box, and they hit play action off that and they try and explosive plays in the passing game by doing so, which is exactly how our offense has been built the entire season with Stetson being that quarterback. So you're right, Curtis. It, it, it's just it's basic fundamental football here. It really is. And I, I don't hate what the Michigan players and coaches are saying. I think they're right. I think this matchup is going to come down to who wins the trenches. They think they're going to win the trenches. I happen to think that we are going to win the trenches. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be an overwhelming victory for either side because they're both really good. I mean, that offensive line, guys, they are big. They are strong. They are physical. They are really good. But you said it earlier, Curtis, they have not faced Georgia's defensive line. They have just simply not. They have not played a defensive line with the quality of players and the depth that we have to be able to roll guys in and out. They just have not seen that yet. And look, they may win the battle interest. Maybe they will. But right now, honestly, the way that we played all year long, and let's not act like we haven't played some good offensive lines. That Kentucky offensive line, guys, is as good as Michigan's offensive line. It really is. They have a couple of NFL players in that offensive line, more than a couple, actually. And you know what we did? We completely shut down that run game. And I'm not going to sit here and say that we're going to completely stifle their run game. They're going to do some things on offense. They're going to have some success. But I think that we're ultimately, at the end of the day, going to be able to win the bound in the trenches. And we have to because if we don't and they're able to get, start hitting play action and, we, and create a lot of one-on-one matchups, that's where things start to get iffy. And one more thing I'll add here in terms of stopping Michigan, I discipline, Curtis. I discipline. Michigan is really, really good at – 
trying to exploit eye violations. And they do a good job of trying to force you in those situations where they try to lull you to sleep with the run game. And, and they they throw – they will actually, guys, I'm, I'm dead serious. They'll throw one or two trick plays, at least one or two trick plays a game. We're talking about flea, flea, flea flickers, uh, reverse passes, halfback passes. I think it was uh, – was, yeah, it was Edwards against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game threw a touchdown pass on a halfback pass. They, you got to be ready for that stuff because they will, they do it routinely. It's a part of what they do offensively. They try to get your eyes looking in the backfield and exploit those eye violations. And we've had issues with that in the past, not as much this year, but more so going back to last year. We all remember the four game last year. So that's something that we have to be extraordinarily aware of. You have to be prepared to do your job and play with great eye discipline. I'll also throw this in as well. I know I said one more thing. Here's one last thing. They love the slot fade. They love the slot fade. They'll put their running backs in the slot. They'll put Cornelius Johnson in the slot, and they will attack our star position. I guarantee you, they know, just like we do, Curtis, that the star position is the weakest link on our defense right now, especially in coverage, and I guarantee you they're going to attack that position. They're going to try to isolate one-on-one matchups there, and we have got to be ready for that. I do not like the idea of Latavius Greeny or William Poole, whoever is in that spot, one-on-one in, in the slot there against whoever it is they put there because they will get their playmakers mashed up there. I think we need to provide help right there. Leave our corners alone and make them operate on islands if we have to. I'm more comfortable with that because, as you said, Curtis, I don't think they have elite receivers that are going to scare me one-on-one. They're good, but they're not those kind of guys. I'm more concerned about them getting their best playmakers mashed up one-on-one with our star defenders who just aren't great in coverage. I want the help to be there. So let's put that out there. Uh, I discipline, stop throwing even numbers, give the star position help because that has been a problem for us the back half of this season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But, um, all right, Curtis, I know the matchup between the Michigan run offense and our defense is dominating most of the conversation heading into this game. But I think this might be another example of where the undercard matchup between our offense that has, let's be real here, has taken a beating among our own fan base as much as it has national media in the aftermath of the SEC championship debacle a couple of weeks ago and the Michigan defense, a very good Michigan defense. So Curtis, just off the top here, how do you handicap this matchup? Um, it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, Michigan's defense, they're good, but a lot of the publicity comes from the two, uh, 
guys on the edge. Uh, realistically, they're. I mean, if you watch them, they're a good defense, but they're not like the best defense we'll face all year. I um, totally agree with that. They they are very good, but they are. I don't think it's an elite Michigan defense. It's a if you could maybe call it a borderline elite Michigan defense. Maybe I'm fine with that. I mean, they're they're like a top a fringe top ten defense. They're 11 national total defense, ninth in yards per play allowed. They're fourth in scoring defense. Uh, but they're only 20th in rush defense, 22nd in, in yards per rush allowed, 22nd in pass defense. Um, so, like, I mean, like, they're good. They're really good. But are they – I mean, are they as good as Alabama's defense? No. I, I don't think – up and down the roster on that side of the ball, I don't think they are. Now, Aiden Hutchinson's obviously a freaking animal. He's a monster. But I, I think I'm with you. I don't know if it's, like, a truly elite defense. It's a really, really good defense, but I think there are some ways – that we can attack them. So let's go there, Curly. They have, they clearly have these two elite pass rushers and Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. Hutchinson with 14 sacks, Ajabo with 11. So I want you to channel your inner Todd Munkin here. What is your game plan in attacking this Michigan defense? Um, first off, you're going to have to use the running backs and people in the slot to attack their linebackers. Um, Brock Bowers, all those people, you're going to have to attack them there because I think they are susceptible. Um with the inside linebackers. And then number two, also attack Hutchison and Ojabo. But especially with Ojabo, you're going to have to make him almost take away his ability to rush pass or make him come out there and guard you in the passing game. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing is take them out of their game. You're going to have to do hit, try to hit quick screens around them. But we can't do it the whole game like we were against Alabama. It got ridiculous because um, that's all we would do. Um, you are going to throw the ball downfield. But the fact is you're going to have to attack them and try to take their – especially those two edge guys, you're going to have to take the aggressiveness away from them. How good is Aiden Hutchinson? He's really good. Let's be honest. The guy's – I mean, he would have been a, a top pick last year. He's insanely good. Like, all right, so Hutchinson, Will Anderson, who do you think is a better player? Who gives, who gives you more concern heading into the matchup against their respective teams? I'm going to go with uh, Anderson because he's more versatile. Man, they're they're very they're both game wreckers, man. It's it's tough to pick. They and they both they're similar. They're both athletic, they but they also both play with really high motors. I think Anderson's better against the run than Hutchinson is. Like Hutchinson does a good job of setting the edge. He doesn't really do a great job of like crossing the uh the blocker's face and like making plays in the backfield. It's really not what he does, like in terms of tackles for loss. He's more of like a sack guy. Yeah. But he is an absolute freaking animal. And I and I, I mean that guys, he's an animal. That's the best word I can use to describe how this guy plays. Yes, he's athletic. Yes, he's physical, strong at the point of attack, all those things. But he plays 100,000 miles an hour. And I and I respect the hell out of that. He reminds me in a lot of ways, like our version of David Pollock, uh, or his, their version of David Pollock, I guess I should say. Like he's clearly more athletic than Pollock ever was. But the way that Pollock just played so hard and just had a really high motor, Hutchinson kind of has that as well. He, he's just a really tough matchup. Like, Curtis, if we have – like, is there anyone on our offensive line that you feel comfortable matching up with him one-on-one? Ugh, no. It's a nightmare scenario. We simply cannot allow We just that don't have happen. someone who could handle the bull rush either. Like, I mean, Salyer could handle probably most of it, but I don't know if Salyer could – it would be almost like I, – I just don't think he could hold up against the bull rush. Not consistently. I mean, he's just he, again, he's just an animal out there. It's just he's and he can win every single way. He can win with speed rush. He can win with power. He can win with just straight up hustle. He can win with pass rush moves. I mean, he has it all. He's just such a tough guy to handle. I will say 
the fact that Jamari Salyer, from all accounts, is back 100% healthy for this game or, or much closer to 100% healthy at the very least, that does give me more hope. But, I mean, even Salyer, I feel more comfortable with him than Broderick Jones out there against Hutchinson. I mean, I think as, as good as I think Broderick Jones is going to be long-term, I think he'd be like a sacrificial lamb for Aiden Hutchinson one-on-one in this game. He's just not ready for that. Like, physically, he's just not ready for that. Jamari is clearly more ready for that, but I still don't feel comfortable with him one-on-one. So what that brings me to, Curtis, is this. I mean, if you're the offensive coordinator, if you're Todd Munkin, you simply cannot let Aiden Hutchinson dominate this game with his pass rushing ability. You simply cannot do it. So, Kurt, how do, how do you do that? Like, if we know, it's very obvious, you cannot let him dominate the game as a pass rusher. How do you do that? How do you make that happen? Um, Outside of, you know, like I mentioned earlier, throwing screens every play, which is not going to win you the game. Um, you, There's two options. You're either going to have to keep a running back in there to protect, and at the same time, you're going to have to use your tight end or someone to chip him every play. He's got to be chipped. We can't yeah. leave him one-on-one. I think that's the biggest thing is you're going to have to chip him. I mean, even I think almost every play, even if you kept a running back back there, you're going to have to chip him. Because, yeah. I mean, a running he's bigger than the running back, and the running back may hold their own, but I would still give him the edge. So you're going to have to chip him. Do you favor quick – I mean, you mentioned screens. Are you going to favor quick passing game over those more longer developing play action plays in this game? I mean, right now, the – Short games, only thing that's been working for us. We haven't been consistent, really. Well, we won against Alabama because we were taking out of our game. We stopped running the football and we couldn't go play action. When we've been able to operate play action, we've hit. But I have a bad feeling that if if we got in that situation, I don't want it to become something we have to rely on either, where we get taken out of our game. Um, but the short game can also be easily taken away. Like you can't. I, we stuck with the short passing game too much to where the fact was then they like think about that pick, the pick six that Stetson did throw. Is yeah. because they knew we weren't going to do anything downfield, so they sat, you know, yeah, the safety in the, robbing the, the middle of the field. Exactly. So we can't do it too much because then they're just going to keep up, you know, coming up closer and closer to the last scrimmage and taking it away because you're not scaring them deep. So, I mean, we're going to have to mix in the short, quick passes, but that can't be the only thing we do because then you get too predictable yeah, and it shortens absolutely. the field. I mean, in, in like just on a very simple terms, a simple way to look at this, we just can't get in third and long. We have to we have to be really really efficient and Unfortunately, that is that is the reality we are stuck in right now. If, if yeah. it's more than five yards or so on third down, get Kamara ready. We cannot let him just pin his ears back. Even even if we chip him on third and long, when it's third and long, he sees blood in the water and he's almost unstoppable. I mean, they double him all the time. Teams they play routinely double him in third and long situations. It doesn't matter. He's that good. He's that dead set. Again, he's a shark seeing blood in the water back there on third and long. We just can't get in those situations. So we're not going to win them. We just cannot get in those situations routinely in this game. But here's my solution, Curtis. All right. And I put a lot of thought in this. I've gone back and I've rewatched every game they played throughout the season. And here's my solution in how you don't let Aiden Hutchinson dominate this game as a pass rusher. Because I think that's the key. You just can't let him take over the game because he is that dude. He's a game record. I think what we have to do, and you kind of mentioned this, Curtis, I think we have to make him play in space and force him to play out of his element. Now, the question becomes, how in the world do you do that? This guy's an elite pass rusher. How do you force him into space and playing out of his element where he's not rushing the passer? And Michigan State is the game that they lost this year, Curtis, right? And so I spent a lot of time watching that game. I dove into that one a couple different times. And they're one of the few teams who figured this out and honestly really had the personnel to do it. What you have to do to take Hutchison, I don't know if you can completely take him out of the game, but what you have to do to take him out of his element is you have to utilize heavy offensive personnel. 
12 personnel and 13 personnel with two tight ends and three tight ends on the field. Use that heavily. And when I say heavily, I'm talking like 50 or more percent of our offensive snaps. I am dead freaking serious, guys. I know it sounds like we're going back in time to 1951 when I'm saying, hey, 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 have three tight ends on the field 50% of the time. But in this game, I think it's the right move because what it does is it forces Michigan into an odd front. I've talked about this before. When we go with heavy personnel with multiple tight ends on the field, two or three tight ends on the field, it forces the opposing defense to respond with their own heavy personnel. And when Michigan does that, when when like when Michigan State and other teams that did this sporadically throughout the year against them, when they went with 12 and 13 personnel, Michigan almost always, without fail, responded by going into an odd front, sometimes like a bare front. And what that means is Aiden Hutchinson is now basically operating as an outside linebacker, which means that he has coverage responsibilities. And that is how you do this, all right? And and when we get in 12 and 13 personnel, we have the talent at tight end and at running back to do a lot of different things. But the fact is, our running backs and our tight ends are our best receiving weapons. I firmly believe that. And we can also get George Pickens, a more healthy George Pickens, on the field as that single wide receiver. So for me, it's just, this is the answer. Use our best weapons, our running backs, our tight ends. And it also has the added benefit, as I said, of forcing Hutchinson out of his element. When they go heavy personnel, I'm telling you guys, trust me on this. I have poured over the tape hours and hours and hours. When we go heavy personnel and they respond, they're going to go to an odd front where Hutchinson is playing outside linebacker, meaning he has coverage responsibilities, which not only means that he's going to get brutalized in coverage. Newsflash, guys, as good of a pass rusher he is, he can't play in space. He is completely overwhelmed in space. So not only do you have a chance to get him matched up in space in coverage where you're going to win that matchup 100% of the time, but you're also taking him out of his wheelhouse rushing the passer. And we have... With guys like Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington and even Fitzpatrick and James Cook and Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton out of the backfield, we can have 12, 13 personnel and we can run what amounts to three or four wide receiver sets. And on top of that, I'm going to add this in here as well. Offensively, I know this is kind of not what we do, but we need to operate with tempo. Mike McDonald, our defense coordinator, is a pro guy. This is his first year in the college ranks, came over from the Baltimore Ravens. So as a pro guy, what he tries to do is kind of what Brent Venables did in week one. He tries to get as much information as possible and get his defensive call in at the very last second. So when teams ran with tempo against them, which they didn't do enough of, I don't understand. I was watching all these games. Why are teams not running with tempo against Michigan? Because they are routinely out of position all year long when teams go tempo because they're waiting too long to get those calls. And they also don't have a ton of depth. Like these guys play basically every single snap. And when you go with tempo like that, talk about you know, who's going to be fresh and be ready to win the fourth quarter, I think can wear their defense down if we operate with tempo like that and you have the added advantage of getting them out of position where you can hit some of those explosive plays where, they, where their guys just aren't where they're supposed to be. It's that, it's that simple. And one more thing I'll throw out here, screens. I know you mentioned, Curtis, you don't want to see a lot of screens. And I, I, think, I do think we lean on that too much against Alabama. But this Michigan team really struggles with screens, whether running back screens, receiver screens, tight end screens. They're really aggressive trying to rush the passer, especially off the edge. And they have all year long, multiple games, most games, honestly, they've struggled to stop screens. So to me, that's the answer. 12, 13 personnel, 50 more percent of the time. Go tempo, run screens. You got to run the football, obviously. But 
I think this is a, t- a defense, as good as they are, they're not super strong up the middle against the run. They're a really good rushing passer off the edge. I think we can have some success running the football, especially if we're in 12 and 13 personnel, which will allow us to more effectively double guy Aiden Hutchinson and take him even more out of the game if he's not playing in space. And I'll be very curious to see how they respond to that. Because I think if we do that in the first half, I think we can have a lot of success against them. And it also means if you have George Pickens out there as your single wide receiver, he's going to have a one-on-one matchup. Because they're going to have to roll safeties in the box. And I love our chances with a healthy George Pickens out there in one-on-one matchup. So I, to me, that's the answer. We'll see if Todd Munkin and the offensive staff agree. Obviously, they have a lot more expertise than I do. But just in, in my amateur hour, go back and rewatch everything and trying to formulate a game plan, that is exactly how I would attack this Michigan defense and how I would take Aiden Hutchinson, maybe not out of the game, but how I would take him out of his element rushing the passer. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, all right, Curtis. So we've talked about a lot of different things here, and there's never just one key to the game. But Kurt, if you had to pinpoint like one or two keys to winning this game, one or two things that will play the most critical role in determining who wins this game, what are they going to be? Oh, to me, it's it's simple, just like it was Alabama. Turnovers and big plays. Um, you can't lose the turnover battle, and Alabama is not – I mean, Michigan is not an explosive team, but they can get you the play-action pass, as you mentioned, with your uh, – and also with the trick plays with your – uh, you got to stay um, smart with your eyes and everything. So I think that you can't give up the big plays to them. Make them drive the whole field, and you can't lose a turnover battle. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, you're right, Curtis. The turnover battle against Alabama, I'm not going to say that's what <clears> cost <throat> us the game, but it, it ruined any chance we had of coming back. Like We, we were we, we were still kind of in that game. I know we, you know, the chances, the win probability wasn't great, but we had a chance until Stetson said, hey, here's a free pick six. Take that. Yeah. And – uh yeah, we just haven't forced enough turnovers on the year. Actually, it's one of the weird similarities between these two teams also is that we both have forced the exact same number of turnovers. We've both forced 16 turnovers on the year. I think you're right, Curtis. That's going to be in – in a college football playoff semifinal matchup when you got two really good teams, I think two elite teams. I'm ready to say Michigan is an elite team, as I think we are. Those turnovers, those big plays can absolutely be what wins and loses the game. Uh, so I agree with you there. For me, Curtis, I'm going to go back to what I said a couple minutes ago. I think offensively and defensively too, I think it's critical to win on first and second down. It's critical for us to stay out of third and one situations offensively because that is where Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo, that is where they are at their best. And we are not going to have any sort of consistent success if we are in those situations on a consistent basis on Friday against Michigan. On the flip side, defensively, if we can force Michigan into third on situations. If we have a lot of success stopping the run, winning on first and second down, getting getting them into obvious passing situations, I think that is very, very good for our defense because, like I said earlier, one of the big similarities between both these teams is neither team is equipped to win the drop-back pass game. They operate off a play-action pass. That's how they beat you. So if we can win on first and second down offensively and also on, sec- on first and second down defensively, I think we are going to have a very, very good chance to win this football game. 
All right, Curtis, finally here. So I'm going to be giving my official pick on this game later on this week. But Curtis, I cannot let you get out of here without giving me a prediction. So what's it going to be, my friend? Dogs or the weird furry animal things? Uh, you know what? I am uh, a Munson at the heart. I'm a pessimist. So right now, um, I'm going to go with the Michigan over the dogs. And I think the biggest reason is right now I have no faith. Um, I think our offensive – our offense is shaken, and I really am not sure how they're going to respond. Stetson, you know, finally got extremely humbled. Um, and the question is, is he going to respond by trying to protect the ball, or is he going to try to go out and make big things happen, try to prove himself and make turnover? So right now I'm just – I'm just – I have no belief in our offense right now. I don't know how they're going to respond. So right now I'm going to go with Michigan. You love being the downer, don't you, man? Well, I mean, you just got to be realistic. I mean, we, no, our, right. offense got ex- our offense was extremely exposed. Stetson, all his shortcomings finally came to a head as a lot of us predicted they would. And we're not sure how he's going to respond. I mean, you look go back to last year after that Bama game, Stetson was a shell of the confidence and the moxie, everything that people loved about him. After the Alabama game, he was no longer that quarterback. Um, so I truly don't know how he's going to respond. Yeah, I will sit here and agree with with that. I will say that I I'm very concerned with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. And the fact is, although he hasn't had a ton of opportunities, I guess he has yet to be an elite team as our starting quarterback. We we just we've beaten a lot of good teams with him as our starter, and I think that we can continue to do that. But Michigan is an elite team. I, I really believe that they are. They're very very good. I think up and down our roster, we're more talented. I think we're better. But Stetson is a guy that has for all the good things he's done. He has not shown that he can be an elite team. Until he does it, I, I'm, I have to be concerned. So I completely understand where you're coming from there. And there is certainly some shell shock coming off the, the SEC championship game and what happened against Alabama. I think a lot of the fans and the fan base are, are feeling the same thing. So that's certainly not a crazy prediction at all. I would ask you this, though, Curtis. So I think a big part of what hurt us offensively against Alabama was the fact that they were so explosive on offense and they are able to jump out to a, a pretty sizable lead there and forced us out of what we want to do offensively, forced us out of the run game and forced us to be in a situation where we had to win with the drop-back pass game, which, as we know, he's not equipped to do. Do you really think Michigan's offense is equipped to get that kind of lead on our defense the way Alabama was to force us out of what we want to do offensively and force Stetson out of his wheelhouse? I don't know if the offense is good enough, but the fact is you're not going to beat Michigan throwing under 20 times. Um as what had been the you know the successful recipe for Stetson Bennett this year, um, and I just don't know. I mean, the fact is, when he has to throw the ball, it's you're on edge every time because you're afraid that pick's coming. And I feel like if he goes out there and even you know doing what he is successful, you know the offense fits in to do, he's still liable to throw a pick. And if he does, and then we get behind because of a turnover or something, or we you know as we mentioned at the bit, what the change the turnovers can cause in a game, momentum wise and everything. And then you ha- and then he- he's shaking. You just don't know what's going to happen. And the fact is, I don't believe Michigan is a, a really like you said, an elite team. And you're not going to beat them throwing the ball under 20 times. And even if you're with the running game, you're still going to have to make big plays and make the big the big plays when it counts. And I haven't seen that as you mentioned against uh, a good team. You're right. I mean, you're you're exactly right about the 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 number of, of uh, passes thrown in these games. As in, it's an age old bugaboo with Kirby Smart offenses. If our quarterbacks are forced to the ball 30 more times, we just don't win a lot of football games. It's that simple. And Stetson, when when he hasn't had to throw the ball more than 20 times, we've been really successful. When he has, the fact is we have not won football games. It's been a struggle. I think he threw the ball more than 20 times one time in the regular season. Yeah, I guess we also what happened, the only time, I believe. 
Yeah, and we saw what happened against Alabama this year and Alabama last year. So the fact is we just don't have the evidence that Stetson is going to be able to do that. I, I want to believe I really do, um, but I, I think it's very fair to have those concerns. But, Kurt, last thing I'll ask you, and get, you know, I'll get you out of here. Do you really think the Michigan offense is going to be able to have enough success, though, to put up enough points to win this football game? You know what? As good as our defense is, I don't think we're perfect. I think Michigan, oh, I, I think Michigan will be in the 20s. And the fact is, Michigan, we're not going to beat Michigan and get into the 20s by just running the ball. Um, it's a fact of the matter. What do you, how do you think they're going to, so you think they're going to score 20 or more points? But you, but you don't like the matchup? Like this matchup, but this is a, a team that wants to run the football and we've been elite at stopping. That's the one thing that we've been able to hang our hat on defensively. You think they're going to be able to have some success against our defense, even though the matchup really seems to favor what we've been good at all year? Well, as you mentioned earlier, they're, they, they enjoy that fade from the slot. They do. That's a problem. We're susceptible in the passing game, especially with play action. Like, you know, they're going to be, you know, committed to the run game and then they're going to hit you with that, the the play action. And I'm just, you know, you can say I'm negative or what, but after Alabama, my belief right now in this team is a little shaken. Um, well, you're and right about the I, Alabama game. Like, I give you credit on that. Well, you you picked Bama going to that game, and and you nailed that one. So I just hope you're wrong. <laughs> I, I hope you missed. This I mean, one. you're not gonna you're not gonna hold Michigan under 14. I think it's a fact of the matter. Yeah, they're good offensively. They are. Josh Gasses does a really good job of scheming that offense. So, and the fact is, we're not gonna hold them under 14. So we're gonna have to do enough to score. Is not we're and we're also not gonna be able to move the ball easily on that defense. Like, it's gonna be a challenge. Fair enough. All right, man. Well, I'm going to hold you to it, all right? All right. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll find out in a week. We'll, we'll find out, and we'll talk about it next week. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We gave you the Michigan Scouting the Enemy report last week where we went through their personnel offensively, defensively, gave you the numbers, the players. And today we went into more detail with the specific matchups offensively and defensively, the X's and O's. Curtis obviously just gave you his prediction. I will be back with my prediction, my official prediction, as will Charlie, on our final picks episode of the 2021 season, which will be coming out Thursday morning. So make sure to check back then for that. But thank you guys for listening. It's getting close, man. It seems like, again, it's been 100 years since we've actually played a football game. I don't know about you guys, but I am extraordinarily excited to get this one kicked off. Of course, I'm also insanely nervous and there's this deep sense of impending dread in the core of my stomach, in the pit of my stomach, but I'm excited to get a chance to get out there and show the country exactly what this team is made of and just hopefully we respond. We respond in the right way. But thank you for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>